It's the Auburn Observer Podcast, the weekend edition. Justin Ferguson here in Los Angeles, California. Painter Sharpless in parts unknown. Painter, how are we doing? How are we feeling? Doing all right. Doing all right. Just trying to battle through a little Wi-Fi. Yeah, we've got you know, hotel Wi-Fi. Sometimes it can be really good, and sometimes it can be really not good. So there's if we sound like we're disconnected or laggy or something on this on this podcast, that's why. Uh, but I'm uh, I'm here in Los Angeles, cover, having covered the uh, Auburn at USC game on Sunday, which we will talk about here uh, for the, for the first part of the podcast, recapping Auburn's loss at USC and kind of what we took from it. I want to say first of all, right off the top, thank you to everybody who subscribes to the Observer. Thank you for those of you who listen, um, who follow on Twitter, all that stuff. Because um, as I as I tweeted after the game on on Sunday. Um, my favorite thing to do is cover road basketball games. I really enjoy the atmospheres. I really enjoy the environments. I feel like I write better off of them. I see things better off of them. And, and they're just really fun uh, to do. And, and um, that only happens because you guys subscribe. I mean, this is all this is all an independent venture, you know? The whole reason I can get credentialed, the whole reason I can have money to do stuff like this is because of you guys. We, we're, we're 100% from, from y'all. So thank you so, so very much. And... Uh, you're listening to this podcast right now on Monday. Also have observations up on Monday. Be going to the Seattle uh, to Seattle for the uh, Washington game uh, here on Wednesday. So we'll have coverage from that as well. So thank you, thank you, thank you so much again. Let's talk about this game because it's a really interesting one because I don't think it's as cut and dry as maybe people may think it is. And then also, Painter, we were talking before we hit record, and, and I've seen it as well. You were talking to some of your friends who are Auburn fans? You know, I was talking to some of my family members who are who are Auburn fans. Very different reactions to this game. I think you can get a get a pretty good spectrum from this. We'll tell you what Bruce Pearl and the team had to say, but you know, pretty pretty uh, pretty mixed reactions. I think from Auburn losing seventy four seventy one on the road at USC. Uh, Painter, your gut reaction, your quick like, hey, this is how I'm feeling after Auburn loses a game like this is what. Trey Donaldson gave you something to chew on and yeah. uh you know Auburn just cannot afford to turn the ball over and expect to win especially against better opponents 71 points with that many turnovers on the road I mean here's the thing Auburn's offense in terms of putting the ball in the bucket did a pretty good job in this game um they shot 46.8 percent from the field 34.8 percent Purdue had some timely threes had some clutch threes Missed a few free throws in the second half that you'd like to have back, but they shot nearly 80% from the line in this game. Offensively, shooting the ball. That's exactly what you want from this team because you know you're not going to light them up. You know, this is not necessarily a team that's going to just – is built to just score a ton, um, you know, and just and just go crazy on good opponents. But they shot well. on the Away from home, unfamiliar territory, I thought they shot well in that one. Defensively, we'll get to, we'll get to the, uh, the, the two big issues in this one. But defensively, I thought you got stops when you needed to. You gave yourself a chance late. You rebounded the ball a lot better. I wrote about this on Sunday. USC is very, very tall, but they're not very good at rebounding. And Auburn made them pay. They they did a really good job rebounding. Um, you know, got their second chance points. Got got different looks. I thought Auburn ran better in transition, especially when they had Wendell Green Jr. out there. Really pushed the pace. You know, tried to capitalize on those turnovers. The problem. So there were so many dadgum turnovers in this game. Auburn turned the ball over 23 times in this game. 
Um, according to the quick stats after the game, that is a turnover percentage of 33 and a third percent. I want to see if that, uh, or it's a 32.8% on Kempom by far their their most of the season. There was one point they were close to 40% turning the ball over. They got off to a really bad start turning it over and the, they got a really bad start turning the ball over. And then like for the, 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 the second quarter, so to speak, Final ten minutes of the of the first half, they did a good job with it, but the turnover line bug bit them hard. And after the game, I asked Bruce Pearl, like, okay, no Wendell Green Jr. in the second half. He tried to go. He gave it. He gave it a, a good fight. He just it was clearly off with him. That ankle that he rolled against Georgia State was still bothering him. He practiced. He went through warmups, but he wasn't at his best, uh, and it was clearly limiting him. You probably turn the ball over a lot fewer times. Well, maybe not a lot, fewer times. You probably turned the ball over fewer times with Wendell Green Jr. on the floor. Um, here's here's uh, something to Bruce Pearl. I mean, I asked him after the game about it, and he said, I think having a healthy Wendell would have allow- allowed us to attack pressure and hopefully hurt pressure. Look, no excuses, but obviously uh, it hurt us. Trey Donaldson played really well. I thought Zeb Jasper in the second half played really well, um, You know, taking, taking those number one minutes again with Wendell Green Jr. out, with Trey Donaldson in foul trouble. Um, but, you know, this is – the turnovers, like, there were a lot of bad passes out of bounds. Um, they weren't all steals. They were offensive fouls. We'll talk about talk about the foul trouble, obviously, uh, in, in this one. You know, having your point guard out there, a point guard who doesn't turn over the ball a ton at a high rate, and Auburn had really struggled with turnovers this season with Wendell out there. It definitely makes a difference. It, it definitely does. Now, you know, some of those mistakes, some of those turnovers they have were really bad. And like, doesn't matter who the point guard is, guys got to make plays, and they got to take it. They got to you know take responsibility for that. Um, but yeah, I mean, to turn the ball over that many times and only lose by three, I think tells you just how well Auburn did in the other areas of offense. But this one's going to stick with you for a while. It's going to sting. It's going to sit in your head. Cause it's like, man, that was the one that they got away. And I think this team, not to get too far ahead of myself, Andrew, I think this team, the way they're playing right now, and I think they play better in this game, and Bruce Pearl thinks they play better in this game than they did in the last couple. I think the way they're playing right now and what they've seen, this is probably less of a team that's going to be top four in the SEC and maybe towards the middle of the the pack. I still think this is a team that can make the NCAA tournament. It might just be more of a fight than we thought it was going to be at the, at the beginning of the season. But they did play better in this game. It's tough, though, because you turn the ball over a fewer times, you, you have a healthy one degree junior. This would be a win, I think, that would have helped you out a lot because I believe that USC, from what we saw on Sunday and what they've been playing recently, I mean, played Tennessee close, played Wisconsin close. Um, I think this, ten, this USC team is probably going to make the tournament, and like this would have been a really good one to have. Instead, it's a close loss where you're not at 100% health, and that's going to sting because it was there. It was there for the taking and it fell by the wayside. However, here's the thing, Painter. You can't win. You can't win if your team sh- if the other team's shooting a double bonus for most of the most of the second half. Um, Auburn was called for a whopping. Uh, they were called for a whopping twenty five fouls in this game. USC was called for fifteen. Nineteen of those fouls were in the second half. USC only shot two free throws in the first half. Just two free throws in the first half. They shot 25 in the second half. Okay? 
Away from home, whistle's not going to go your way. We've talked about this in the past. SEC officials, or at least the officials that call the games in the Southeast, are used to that physicality and that, that style. Auburn got judged by a lot tighter whistle, a team that plays really physical defense, got whistled like a team that played two physical defense. Now, some of the fouls were clear fouls, mistakes, and other than that. Others were ticky-tack. And it was so uneven, and it's just it's hard to get into a flow of a game when you when you foul so many times, when you have so many fouls, and when the discrepancy is that big. Yeah, that that plays a part. That plays a part in this game. I don't think it's the only reason why Auburn lost this game, but I think it contributed for 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 a fact. And like, if you want to take a more positive approach, if you're a fan from this game, is to say, hey man, a more even whistle, you probably take that game anyway, even with the turnovers. The margins were thin. I mean, I think about um, Allen's foot being on the line. Yeah, that was that tough. Was brutal. Uh, a couple of turnovers here, a few free throws there. Yeah, you take that game. You take that game. It's just the foul trouble. And, and USC shot the ball extremely well from the free throw line in this game. They're at home. They're benefiting from the whistle. It just shows you, like I said, what can you – like, you know, referee, referees are going to call it. And the guys after the game, Trey Donaldson, Janai Broom, we talked to us, said, like, you know, you don't want to get put into a situation where, you know, you're leaving it up to the refs. So you need to do a good job of the things that aren't up to the refs. So it's the nine, you know, offensive foul turnovers that they had, the non-charging calls that they had. It's just a lot of those fouls, and it was just the adjustment. Now, here's the thing, though. In the first half, the way I was playing defense didn't get called for a lot of fouls. Second half, I mean – I think Auburn had the same amount of fouls in the first half. In the whole first half, it only took them like three or four minutes to get there in the second half. Like, you can't win that way. You can't win that way. And that's what's frustrating for this team. And that's why I think you can also look at it and say, yeah, it's a loss. Yeah, it stings. But, you you know, you can't, you can't sit here and say, well, that's, you know, it was a bad performance or anything like that. Because, I mean, much more even whistle. You, may, you, might, be, you might be saying something different about this Auburn team today. Um, but that was a that's a factor that you can't control, which makes the other stuff like turnovers, like all the self inflicted stuff, like that makes it that much more important. Um, because guess what, Harvard's going to get tight whistles in games. They play really physically and, and uh, on defense, and and some referees are going to call a lot on them. But you know that that was an area where I think, you know, whatever you think, whatever you're feeling about this game, Auburn fan. I'll put it this way. Put it this way. Think about how you'd be feeling after this game if Auburn would have won by three or won a close game, right? The foul discrepancy and Wendell Green Jr.'s injury, that's probably your difference in those in those two spots. So I'm not saying go all the way up to like, oh, it's like you won the game. No, I'm just saying maybe use that to kind of temper how you're feeling after this. Maybe. Maybe. That's just... That's just me. Because, again, I, I, I've i got a lower view on this team than I did at the beginning of the season. But I also don't think this is, like, definitely an NIT team. Definitely a team that's going to struggle throughout the season. And I thought against USC, they did a lot of things better. But, man, those turnovers really, really killed you. And I I think I think that that would have changed with a different whistle and, and, and you're you know, a fully healthy Wendell Green Jr. Katie Johnson, haven't seen him look that hesitant in a while. Yeah, this was and, and the late game situation with KD was also uh, a struggle. Now Bruce Pearl said guys were in the wrong position on that on that full court play. 
that led to KD getting fouled, but he wasn't taking a three. And then he tried to miss the second free throw, and he didn't. And Chris Moore tried to miss a free throw, and he didn't, which is tough considering you missed free throws you were trying to make earlier in the game. But, yeah, it's just KD just was really, really soft on his trigger. And it's like if Auburn's going to win games, they need more out of their twos, right? Zeb Jasper hit a couple of clutch threes. I think both of them – are. I, I want to say both of them were happening when he was playing the one. I could be wrong there. Wendell, obviously, you know, not not as best. You know, two points, 0-4 from the field, three turnovers. You know, only played 12 minutes, didn't play in the second half. Um, but, yeah, you can't have a game where KD Johnson goes over. And or from the field, only gets to the line, hits six turnovers in this one. You know, not all of those were under his his, his complete control, but it, they got to figure out what's going on at the guard spot, especially with you know Wendell Green Jr. healthy. Um, it seems like without without a Jabari Smith on this team, there's more pressure. And there's more, and there's more tape on these guys too. There's more pressure, and there's more emphasis on saying like Auburn's guards. If you get after them and you give them a hard time, you can win these games. And so the same formula you had last season: Wendell, Zap, KD. There's more pressure on them to perform, and they're not performing all at once. They're not all clicking. Now Zap had a solid, solid game, especially when he had to come in for the one. KD did not have a good game at all. Wendell obviously was hurt. This is where having a healthy chance. Westry would have made would have would have helped you a ton. And maybe this is where Trey Donaldson gets more minutes, even if Wendell Green is back to hundred percent here in the near future in time for SEC play. Because once again, man, Trey Donaldson is I mean, right now playing like one of Auburn's best players. Like, you know, playing like one of their most effective players over these last couple of games. He shot with confidence. Now, he had he got in foul trouble. He had turnovers. He made freshman mistakes out there. But man, he gave you a chance. He gave you a, a chance in a game where you're missing your 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 floor general. That should probably be it. And I think between him and Zeb Jasper stepping up his game a little bit more, it's good to see them doing it, but they've got to figure out a way to get that going again from their guards. Alan Flanagan not a great game for him off shooting it three of eight, one of six, but he made you know, five assists. Um, had a huge block uh, that that kept Auburn in the game. Good rebounds when he was out there. It's just you got to get all that going, and it's just where does Trey Donaldson fit into that picture? And if the chance Westry, who was in Israel, is in this formula, well, I think you're feeling a lot better about where Auburn is right now, especially in their backcourt. The problem is. Kind of like with that, not having Wendell healthy against USC, that's not him. He's he, he had to have surgery, and that's a quick turnaround. And he's not at his best, and he and he struggled and he struggled with it. Um, but you can see like that's that's the thing when you see that kind of stuff. When you see Trey Donaldson come on, when you see Jani Broom come on and have a pretty effective game, um, you know. Very efficient game, more like what we what what you would have expected from him when he when he got first got here. When you see that and you see some of the issues going on in the backcourt, you you don't look at this Auburn team, you know, through eleven, twelve games, however many it is, and say, okay, this is what they're going to be for the rest of the year. You can see where they can continue to get better and improve. College basketball teams do it all the time. You won't be playing your basketball at the end of the season. It's just one game, but there's still room to grow for this team. 
but also the issues that they have been having could, could still keep coming. I mean, they could still be those same issues because this is a team that does not have that dude on offense right now on a consistent basis. And the problem with that is they're going to play some teams with that dude. Boogie Ellis was that dude. You know, Kendrick Davis was that dude. And like in these two games now, these last two games away from home that Auburn's had, they have gotten tuned up by a really good, confident shot-making guard. And it's what Auburn's missing, and they've got to do a better job of fixing that on like how to slow them down. Because they're going to face some guys like that. They're going to face some good, and, and, and they're not just necessarily going to be point guards either. They, they've got, there's some really good talent that they're going, to, they're going to be playing coming up soon. So Broom played about 31 minutes, and Cardwell played about nine? Yeah. And, you know, Broom... Yeah, Carwell had Carwell had a decent game when he was out there. Um, he had five boards, uh, assists, but just Broom was just he was much more dominant with the ball in his hands. Um, and, you know, made th- made things happen uh, on offense. Uh, here's another one, and this is going to be another thing where you can, you can point to and say this is where they can be better. Jalen Williams only takes five shots in this game. He goes three of five, but he only takes five shots. One board, it's like, and and was plus eight. I mean, him and Trey Donaldson were the two best teams and plus uh, two best players in plus minus. You got to get more out of those guys. And I know USC zone packing it in, making it tougher on the big men to make something happen. But you got to get more out of those guys on a on a, on a routine basis. And it's one of those things, like you said, when you don't have a Boogie Ellis, when you don't have a Kendrick Davis, when you don't have a a Jabari Smith or somebody like that on offense. You got to have everybody playing with a higher floor, and right now it's just kind of too roller coastery from 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 Auburn. But yeah, I mean, I thought I thought Broom was one of the best players on the floor for Auburn, and I think if you look, like Drew Peterson for USC had a bad game, didn't really matter because they shot a ton of free throws and Boogie Ellis had a great game. You know, uh, that that was that hurt you. But in a game where you shot the ball more efficiently and you rebounded the ball a lot better, Jani Broom played like like Jani Broom should. And I think you got to get that more from Cardwell and more from Williams. I don't know what it's going to look like. I don't know if that's schematic. I don't know if that's something the coaches have to put in. I don't know if the players have to do them, themselves. they got to find a way to work through those guys more, right? Broom, you get that from him because it just opens up it creates things. I mean, there's some good inside out passes they had in this game and guys started knocking down some shots. Like Auburn, you know, they're not it's not the final four team, but shooting 35% from deep, that's pretty good. You'll take that. You'll you'll take that most nights. But you don't take that with a ton of turnovers and it's just they got to find ways to make sure that those guys get more quality looks. And USC probably try to take take away a lot of that. Uh, but yeah, it's just all hands on deck. This is you can't have you can't beat teams like USC more often than not. You can't beat them and have games where you know you don't get much of anything from from several of your bench players, and not all your starters are firing on all cylinders. Like that's just that's just a bad formula. That's just a bad formula for 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 what you need. In twenty nineteen. Or I guess it was the Final Four season. Uh, mm-hmm. Auburn had to play NC State on the road, and I believe in that game they had a yeah. ton of turnovers. 
Yes, they did. And they did. They were a top ten team playing an unranked NC State team about this time of the year. Uh, Auburn was mm-hmm. nine and two afterward, and you know, I, I mean, there was like I remember pulling my hair out like Auburn's a top ten school, yada yada, and instead it yeah. falls flat on the road. That game, by the way, also they they turned the ball over twenty five times in that game and shot twelve free throws. NC State shot ten and won by seven. They did they did turn the ball over a lot in that game, but yeah, that game Jared Harper one of five from deep, uh, Bryce Brown zero of four from deep, Chumoki he one of six from deep. Auburn as a team was five of twenty five from deep. So I mean that Final Four team, as good as they were, they had a game like this. You're right, and and, and again with that's a, that's a really good point. Um, and I hadn't even thought about that game, but yeah, like. That team, ha- that team, and I don't think this is a Final Four team, but that team had that tough game. And they beat Murray State, they beat North Florida, and then uh, if you remember, also if you remember, they opened that team also opened the year the SEC schedule losing by fifteen at Ole Miss. So again, like this up and down rise and falls, these are going to happen, and. Even it's happening to even some good teams. I'll point out Tennessee had the same thing happen to them that Auburn did when they played Arizona on Saturday. Arizona shot a whole lot more free throws than Tennessee did. That was a true road game. Tennessee loses close. You know, I, I know Rick Barnes was after the game talking about how how you needed to kind of kind of get that if that was more even or you know he was, he was displeased with the fishing, whatever you want to call it. So, like, it happens. It happens to teams that are playing better basketball than Auburn right now. Um, so you can look at that two ways. It's like, okay, the things Auburn can control, they got to get a lot better at that. But the things you can't control, like Wendell Green Jr. not being healthy, having, you know, having that the, the, the whistle so tied in you on the defensive end for most of the second half, you know, that kind of stuff. Again, there's this is a, this is a better team than... I think this is a this is a better better team than they were last week. I think they played better than they did last week. Full strength team, they might win, but again, you gotta you gotta keep that up because you know the problem for Auburn right now is when you're not as consistent, when you're not very consistent on offense, and you're not you don't have a consistent like this is what they're good at and this is what they're doing consistently on offense. When you don't have that, it's like okay, maybe you cut down the turnovers the next game. But are you going to shoot as well as you did in this one, right? You know, that's that's the thing where if you're on the more pessimistic side of Auburn fans after this game, like, I get that. I understand that for sure. They settled down in the first half on defense after USC got a lot of – hit a lot of good shots, a lot of tough shots. And having a guy like Boogie Ellis makes a, makes a huge difference. And, you know, if Auburn had a Boogie Ellis or a guy like a Kendrick Davis or maybe even just, you know, a guy closer to that level on offense – it's probably a better. It's probably a team that's probably still undefeated at this point, but they're not, and so they've got to be more consistent on defense. They got to. They can't turn the ball over. This is a team that you got to value your possessions because you don't have a bailout option on offense. You just, you just don't. You just don't. And so, you know, what are you going to learn from this game if you're Auburn? If Auburn plays like you know, Auburn plays the the. The stuff they controlled, if they play like this against Georgia State, they blow them out. You know, in some of these games, you know, it might be a lot closer. But, or that were closer, but I mean, not a lot closer. Um, you know, they didn't get blistered in the paint like, like they did against Memphis. 
that's a step forward. But you got to make it consistent. You got to keep it going. And that's just if you're if you're having a hard time buying into that Auburn fan, I get it because you just haven't seen that yet. You just haven't seen that yet. But I think Panger, you raised a couple of good points in that. You know, even that Final Four team had some games where they couldn't hit anything and they turned the ball over a ton, or you know, things weren't working as well. Got a t- tight whistle on away from home. But the most important thing is they were playing their best basketball at the end of the year. I think this team still has the potential to play their best basketball at the end of the year. It's just they got a lot of work to do to get there. But the ceiling is still pretty high. You're 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 getting you're getting so little from certain guys game in and game out, and and it's so inconsistent that like you can see what this team's potential is when they start rolling, like like they did when they came back and took a took the lead today. It's going to be tough to beat any team by more than a few baskets because of the style that we play, which doesn't leave you a lot yeah. of room for error. That's just that, that's just the way it is. You know, you can't expect this team to like bury you know, people in avalanches of three-pointers. And you can't expect, you know, to just play this. Elite. The the thing that I think I think is the toughest thing for Auburn is they're playing this physical brand of defense. They rebounded better in this game. They got they they got the tight whistle. I mean, again, like I said, like Boogie Ellis and Kendrick Davis were problems. And there are going to be more guards like that who can take it to you. And there are going to be other guys that aren't guards. They're not point guards that can do it to you. Like Brandon Miller, what he did against Gonzaga the other day, like he's he's playing at an elite elite level right now for a freshman. That's going to be a tough cover. Now for Auburn, you did do a great job against USC's best wing, but the other guy had a had a phenomenal night. And they've got to figure out how to do it. So with the thing with the backcourt, it's it's the backcourt because when you don't have Walker Kessler and Jabari Smith, there's more pressure on this backcourt to produce. And they're either way too inconsistent or having games where they just go where where they just go blank. Their guys just have bad nights, and that's just the way this. T- you can't expect everybody to play at their best every single game, but they got to be playing with high, higher floors night in and night out. The good news is though is they've got room to improve in a lot of areas, and you can see what it looks like when when things are clicking. And the other thing is is man Trey Don- Trey Donaldson. So many props to Trey Donaldson at this point. This dude looked like he was out of the rotation and almost trying to get Chance Westry back going again because he had played so well in Israel. It's not working. Didn't work out. And Trey Donaldson pops boop, right back into the lineup and and like gives Auburn a chance tonight. You know, him and Zeb Jasper gave Auburn a chance tonight. And when you lose in a different way than you lost the first time, you can sit here and say, okay, that could end up being a more positive result. I mean, it's still a loss and you're still upset about it and you're still frustrated, but it's like, okay, this, this was not one area. Like the areas that Memphis used to, to beat Auburn were not the same ways USC beat Auburn. And the optimistic view of that is, okay, maybe you can just round, you have time to round things out that you got stuff to improve on. The pessimistic view of that is, is like, okay, well, you're too inconsistent and you can lose a lot of different ways. You know, you have a team like Auburn where it's like you can win a lot of different ways. That's great. You can beat you in a lot of different ways. You don't want to be a team that can lose in a lot of different ways. Um, So it's just this Washington game is going to determine a lot. If you come out – and, like, Washington is not as good as as USC is on paper. Um, You know, they are – but not too far behind. Uh you know, we we won't do a podcast before the next time we 
before uh, the next time Auburn plays. But Washington, um, they beat St. Mary's in overtime. St. Mary's is really good. Um, And beat beat Colorado at home. That's a good win for them because Colorado's been off to a good start this year. But the majority of their other um, wins this year were against teams kind of like Auburn's have where they're not overly impressive. So they got a very similar – you know, track record like that, a very similar kind of resume. Um, but good defensive team, not as great on offense, not as great rebounding. It's going to be very similar, very similar makeup to USC, except I think personally they don't have the same star power that USC does. And so how can Auburn counter that? That's going to be – that's going to be big. Lost to Gonzaga, lost to Oregon State, lost to Cal Baptist. Um, but, yeah, this will be another game where nip and tuck, you know, Auburn's going to have to fight to, to, to go through it. If they put another emph- – they put an effort like they did against USC today, against Washington, and, you know, they don't turn the – if they just cut down the turnovers a little bit, cut down the fouls a little bit, they win that game, I think, because I don't think you're playing as tough of a team in, in Washington. Um, but we'll see. We'll see. I mean, this team is it is kind of up and down, and it's kind of hard to know what to expect. Um, but, you know, they're 9-2. they got a lot of work to do. they got a long way to go um, to be a team that – be the team that they want to be to make it to the tournament solidly. But, you know, I think I think you raise a good point there, Painter. Um, again, with that NC State loss, it's like, yeah, sometimes really good Auburn teams have games like this. Um, and you can point to where they where they get better and where they improve on that from there. And it's just, can you learn these lessons in time? But I did come away from that game, and I think you did as well. Come away from that game thinking they played better against USC than they did against Memphis, because that Memphis game was a bloodletting on the inside. Yeah, and I guess right now I just sort of view Auburn as a team that is about even with Florida or Texas A and M, and then you've got the rest of the teams like Arkansas, yeah. Alabama, Tennessee, Kentucky all vying yep. for top of the league. Yeah, and it's like Auburn can be a team that gets into that range, right? You know, like last year, uh, you know, five, five and six, the fifth and sixth best teams in the SEC last year were six seeds, LSU and Alabama. Um, year before that, they were seven seeds, eight seeds. So, like, you know, you can still be in a good spot even if you were not a title contender. And I don't really – they hadn't played a single SEC game yet. Remember – also, the team that was picked to finish 4-14 four and 14 in the SEC ran the table. So there's still a lot of basketball left to be played. And if you're frustrated, if you're pessimistic, if you're disappointed, if you're an Auburn fan, you got plenty of reasons to point to. Like they, Again, this backcourt's got to step up on both ends of the floor and play much more consistently for Auburn to have a chance to be what they want to be. However, it's not like you haven't seen them play well, and it's not like you haven't seen Auburn, you know, get all these things that they need to do. It's just about putting them all together at the same time. And you'd much rather be doing that in SEC play than, you know, on December 18th against against USC. But it's a missed opportunity. It's a missed opportunity, but, you know, Auburn can blame themselves, and they can also look at things that were out of their control that, that didn't help them at all. So we'll see how they respond against Washington. Should be a really good one. Again, fun atmosphere. A lot of Auburn fans, um, some of y'all who are listening to this, um, were at the game. Um, shout out to y'all. Brought a lot of noise. Really good crowd. Uh, I know the result is not what you wanted, but um, 
hope, hope the folks who made it out there had a lot of fun. And those of you who live out here, um, got to enjoy Auburn coming, coming around, uh, to your neck of the woods. And I'm sure the same thing will be for, I know there's a couple of people who listen, listen to this that live in the Pacific Northwest. So hopefully they get to go out to the game on Wednesday. Um, uh, but yeah. Um, want to shout out to shout out to all y'all, uh, who, who made the trip. And then, uh, again, like I said, um, thank you for supporting us because, you know, I, I love doing this part of my, this part of my job. I love it. But when you work for yourself and you don't work for a company anymore, that means you don't get to do it, <laughs> you know, on their dime, it's your dime. Thankfully we got a pretty, we got a pretty strong and shiny dime because of you guys. Uh, while we're, while we're on that subject though, of thanking all of y'all, Hey, if you like this podcast and you want more of it, you can subscribe to the Auburn Observer for $6 a month or $60 a year, and you get twice as much of it. You get our bonus uh, episodes, which is basically the same podcast, just another episode of it later in the week, and you get all the newsletters. So the observations, the roster tracker and football, there's a lot of movement going on there, and we'll talk about that here shortly. Um, you know, Auburn football and men's basketball coverage. If you like the stuff we're talking about and just kind of the the analysis and the and the, and the deep dives and some of that stuff that we do on here, you'll enjoy what we have uh, on the newsletters because we can go even deeper and to answer your questions in mailbags, a whole lot of fun stuff uh, at auburnobserver.com. Sign up there. We're still running that deal uh, for those of you who want uh, to give gift subscriptions. We're a week out from Christmas now. Um, yeah, give your gift subscription. If you're, if you're a subscriber, send me an email. Let me know, and we'll add some time to your account um, for giving the gift of the observer this holiday season. A lot of y'all have already done that and it's really, really cool to see. Um, so keep it up. Uh, and uh, yeah, just, just let me know. Uh, and we will get those, that, that, that time added onto your account. Um, it's a great time of year to do it. Last minute gift. Be perfect. Be perfect for a last minute gift this time of year. Uh, and give the gift of the observer to your friends and family who are Auburn fans. Uh, also shout out to our friends at homefieldapparel.com homefieldapparel the number one place to get vintage collegiate apparel Painter I saw a good bit of home field in the USC stands on Sunday from Auburn fans so I know you guys were comfortable probably enjoying the fact that it wasn't as cold here as it's going to be in Seattle and it's not as cold as it is back in Alabama and uh, it's not as cold as it is in parts unknown Probably enjoying that if you're in L.A., but you can bundle up, you can get ready, um, buy gift cards, all that good stuff. Homefieldapparel.com, your number one place for Auburn gear. And on top of that, you can buy the official Auburn Observer t-shirt. If you think our logo is cool and wish you could wear it and tell your friends about it, you can buy that there. Homefieldapparel.com. Banner, you can also help us in another way, and that is what? Rate, review, subscribe, leave us five stars, little one or two lines, and tell us what you like about the show. Be sure to follow the show, and uh, we appreciate you. Um, we got a couple of new reviews to read. Shout out to those of you who did our review drive here uh, last week in the Home Field gift cards. Oh, here we go. This is a leftover review that sadly we didn't read. Li- we didn't read last week, but I wanted to. I wanted to shout it out. This is from this is from KMW who said they were sending this on their fiance's phone. So when the silky tones of Panther told me to rate, review, and subscribe years ago, I did. But now the stakes were raised. A home field apparel gift card was on the line. So this is my fiance's phone. Rare re- rating, reviewing, and subscribing. Painter for employee of the month, ten to ten. 
Please put music at the end of FOTP and let us hear what Dave is asking, though. That's up to you, Painter. Um, so shout out to that review. I wanted to shout that one out specifically. I think that one just missed the cut uh, from 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 last uh, from last week uh, to be in the drawing, but I wanted to get the uh, wanted to get get that one in there because that that's how, that's what you do, Painter. That's somebody who I mean we've told them, we've told people this for years: steal people's phones and review. Like and and someone actually went out and did it on a on a burner account. So that's great. This is from uh, let's see. D, uh, let's see, D, 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 G, O, D, S, H, A, L, L. So it's the God's Hall, God's Hall. I don't know. I hope I'm, I hope I'm getting that right. Anyway, it says, I've been listening for a while, but I found out in the Friends of the Program episode from November 29th that Painter uses Burt's Bees. Just when I thought this podcast couldn't get any better. Five stars for Painter and five stars for Burt's Bees. That stuff is good. You're a Burt's Bees guy. Oh, man, my yeah. lips are so chapped. You know, I've been, been laid yeah. out trying to... Get the fluids back in me. My lips are all dry, but not anymore. Uh-huh. Not with I'm the more burpees. Of a, I need to do that. I've never. I've seen it for forever, and I've never used it. So I need to get on board. The one that always works for me whenever I need chapstick is like at a point in my life where I'm like really need it, and it's like this is going to be a real problem. So I always get like the medicated chapstick uh, or the medicated blistex because like all right, I need some healing power, but. All these Burt's Bees people are, are, are in my ear. I might, I might need to, I might need to make the switch at some point. It's the wind, man. It just chaps my lips so badly here. Yeah, yeah. Man, the wind was kicking in Auburn uh, right before I left, and as I look right now in Seattle, uh, the high in Seattle on um, <laughs> the high in Seattle on uh, Tuesday is 35 with a 90 percent chance of snow. Good thing I'm flying in on Monday, uh, so we're gonna. What's be, the temp in LA? The the temperature in LA right now is as we're recording this is 55, and it's been in the like mid 60s most of the days here. So it's been it's been nice, nice and mild, which is the way we like it. Is that flip flop right. and sweatshirt weather? Um, so I didn't pack any flip flops for this trip. I probably should have. I tried to get a whole week in a carry on, and I was successful. Um, but I had to make some strategic choices. So we're rolling with a lot of, a lot of, uh, rolling with a lot of jeans and sweatpants right now. Just real, real, real comfort hours. All right. Let's move on. Let's move to football because man, Painter, before Auburn's loss to USC on Sunday, Auburn fans had to be feeling pretty good because the momentum keeps picking up on the recruiting trail. Uh, for Hugh Freeze and his staff, um, and man, this was a this was a big day on Sunday. Sunday Sunday morning, Sunday early Sunday afternoon. Auburn picks up not one, not two, but three commitments. Um and uh starting to make some some noise. Had a lot of guys on visits. We'll talk about uh those in a little bit. Let's talk about the commitments though first and foremost. We'll start with the best name of the group uh that committed and uh very fitting as I said that uh, he committed on a on the day of the World Cup final. Uh, Rivaldo Fairweather, uh, shout out to the Brazilian great Rivaldo. Um, Rivaldo Fairweather from uh, FIU, a tight end, a hybrid tight end, uh, commits to Auburn, uh, and he seemingly has two years left of eligibility. He played three at FIU, 
and uh, was very very successful, especially this past year. He would have had the COVID year if he needed it or wanted to use it uh, remaining. Uh, but Rivaldo Fairweather was the second leading receiver for uh, FIU this past season. 28 catches, 426 yards, and three touchdowns. He had all three of those touchdowns in a monster game against Middle Tennessee State. So he's coming off a high note. Also had big na- days against uh, had had a big day against Louisiana Tech in a win earlier this year. FIU wasn't very good, but Rivaldo Fairweather was. And uh, I thought this was kind of interesting, Painter. Auburn's new tight ends coach that they picked up from um, from Liberty. Ben Igamawa. I want to say that's that's correct. Ben Igamawa. Ben Igamawa, after Rivaldo Fairweather uh, committed to Auburn to transfer, uh, he tweeted a gif of Evan Ingram. Obviously, Evan Ingram was a big-time playmaker for Hugh Freeze back in the day at Ole Miss. Uh, it was pretty, I thought it was pretty fitting. Uh, very very much a hybrid uh, type of guy. Fairweather 6'5", 245. Be very interesting to see how he kind of how how they kind of use him, but more of a receiver than a blocker. We look at you know Auburn's got Luke Deal coming back, Todd Fromm coming back, Brandon Frazier, guys that haven't been really high volume receivers at this point in their careers. Landon King's back. It'll be very interesting to see if Landon King stays a wide receiver, or is a tight end, or somewhere in between. Somewhere in between kind of makes the most sense for him. We'll, we shall see. But a new weapon for Auburn to use that. Um, you know, gives them another receiving option, gives them another creative weapon, really good size. Uh, and when you're trying to replace the production of John Samuel Shanker, albeit in a uh, different type of offense, you can definitely you can definitely take uh, take a guy like Rivaldo Fairweather. And and again, I just can't get over how great that name is. But then I also think about guys like Cameron Brown. You know, if he decides to come back, Xavier Capers, like those type of guys. There is a track record with. Hugh Freeze using those big body targets, and um, you know, and, and you know the other, the other big, uh, the other big, you know, portal guy they've been going after right now is Dante Thornton, uh, who's from Oregon. He's he's you know six five, six four, six five. Like so, yeah. I mean, they, they, he's definitely got a type. And Auburn's got a lot of little guys coming back or smaller guys coming back. With you like, you'll definitely use a Javarius Johnson. You'll definitely use. A, Malcolm Johnson Jr. and guys like that, but these bigger body guys um, and Fairweather fits into the equation there. I think is a, is a really good pickup for what they want to do because you go back and look at Freeze's background. You look at uh, you look at Philip Montgomery's background. A lot of one on one shots. A lot of deep, like deep. Go up and get it. Like trust your quarterback to go make a play. And your receivers to go up and get it. So you need those big guys. You want to attack the middle of the field as well. So yeah, re- really good pickup. My guy on the transfer portal, our our friend and and former guest here multiple times, uh, Max Olson at the Athletic. Um, you know, it seems uh, you know he knows everybody in the portal and he knows what what they're capable of. He really, really, you told me he really likes his pickup for Auburn. Uh, but he had, he had some a couple of like really big game changing things, and it's just he's got some size and some skills that you really just can't teach. So um, he's he's a really good pickup for Auburn. What Auburn wants to do. Next, Painter, shout out to the beautiful town of Munford, Alabama, Talladega County. Shout out Munford. It's like, I think it's the population is like twelve or 1,300. I tweeted earlier today. Auburn's never had a letterman from Munford. Had, they're about to have two from Lochapoca, or have had two from Loch. A lot of, notice a lot of ones around here. But you go up the road a little bit, you get to Munford, and Munford 
has a safety named Sylvester Smith who has flipped from Tennessee to Auburn um, and has, has made his commitment. Sylvester Smith um, not only is the is the pride of uh, the pride of Mumford, Alabama, but um, is a guy that uh, is a really really high rated highly rated player. Two four sevens got him on the composite top twenty safety in college football, uh, top top two twenty two thirty uh, player uh, overall in the country. Wesley McGriff and Zach Etheridge kind of tag team in the recruiting efforts to get him on board. You can never have enough defensive backs. And, uh, yeah, get you like like what you get out of Sylvester Smith. 5'11", uh, 195 uh, is what he is listed at. Um, really good cover safety. And uh, he, he, he has – you watch him on film, really pops with the way he flies to the football, both attacking it in the air and also coming through with some tackles. So a good piece, a good piece back there. Terrence Love, the four-star from Blankston Hughes, is also a highly rated safety in this class. You look at Auburn, you know, they've got some safeties that they really like or, you know, that the previous staff really liked. Uh, but some of those guys are a little bit older, um, you know, and so you got to keep having that churn, get as many DBs as you can. So Sylvester Smith on the board. Uh, and, again, like I said, shout-out to Mumford. Shout-out to Talladega County. Uh, don't think – I have a I have a relative of mine who uh, knows somebody in Mumford and uh, I was texting with him on uh, on Sunday, and the person said, it's probably the best athlete we've ever had. Uh, so really cool to see these small-town guys get their SEC shots. He was going to have one with Tennessee, but uh, getting to play closer to home, uh, making that making that flip from Al- uh, flip to Auburn from uh, from Tennessee. So big pickup there for uh, Sylvester Smith. And also, again, I uh, once again, I just take a really good name. I didn't know we were making Sylvester's anymore as a society, but uh, – Shout out to shout out to Mr. and Mrs. Smith for, for getting that one. The final uh, flip that they made was Steven Johnson. So Steven Johnson and Painter, Steven Johnson is a big old dude. Big guy. They flipped him from Arkansas and um, really made a run at him kind of here here recently with a new staff. Steven Johnson is from uh, Fayetteville, Georgia, so uh, the the Atlanta area. Uh, he went to Whitewater. He goes to Whitewater. Low-rated guy in, in in terms of the overall ranking. Uh, but, I mean, you look at Auburn, you're like, you need as many defense linemen as you can get. You're trying to rebuild. You've lost a lot in the portal over the last few cycles. So this is a rebuild up front kind of move. Steven Johnson, 6'4", 320 pounds. Big, big dude. Um, says uh, he uh, he flipped uh, you know Auburn offered him this week he took an official visit this weekend um, big big time nose tackle I think he fits in with what you see uh, the system that Ron Roberts uses they love the big body guy down the middle they need depth there um, holding that point of attack putting somebody right over the center and letting them go to work means a lot for him they do have Jason Jones they've got a couple other big body guys but you got to continue to build that depth up front. And so Steven Johnson is that move there. And, um, you know, good pickup. Again, flipping a guy from an SEC school. Um, you know, they are getting they are getting dudes here down the stretch of this cycle who, you know, were, were highly rated by others um, and, and valued by other good programs. And they still have a chance to flip 
a guy, you know, they'll have a shot to flip a guy from Ohio State, or they might have a shot to flip a guy from Alabama, or keep a guy from Alabama or two. So, yeah, there's a lot of that going on. Painter, I wanted to point this out because I saw this today, running the numbers. I want to tell you how, you know, and decommitments play in a part into this one. So I want to, I want to be fair to this. So there are some decommitments there, but Auburn currently has 16 commitments in this class. Um, there were 15 high schoolers, and then you've got the one transfer now in, in Rivaldo Fairweather. Um, more than half of those guys committed after Halloween, the day Brian Harson got fired. So more than half of this class to this point is going to be built with guys that, you know, Calic Williams and the interim staff, or now Hugh Freeze and this staff, have recruited and I'm telling you, that's the thing. That's the thing we talked about it with Christian a couple weeks ago. It's like you, you're going to be able to tell pretty quickly that Hugh Freeze and this staff. It's just it's a different ball game than the, the what they were under the last under the last half in the last cycle. And talent acquisition is so important, right? It's the game. We talk about the blue chip ratio. We talk about things it's like you know, there's a lot of stuff that goes into being a really good football team. But if you don't have that baseline level of you got to be in the top dozen or so recruiters in the country year in and year out to have a chance to win the thing. And in the SEC, where there's more of these elite recruiters than any other conference, the pressure is even higher. And when two of your biggest rivals, your, your two biggest rivals, are two of the best recruiters in the sport, cranks it up even more. So for Auburn, it's a good start, and they're going to be able to pick up. They're going to be able to pick up. They're not done. Uh, you know, they don't. They don't seem to be done. They're going to have a shot at James Smith and Quay Russo, the the top two from from Carver uh, in Montgomery. Um, you know, maybe, maybe reading the tea leaves, maybe Alabama's still the favorite uh, for both of them, but Auburn's going to give it a, a ride to the end, and and that's something for a team that was, you know, five and seven this year. Um, you know, they they still have a shot at um, at quite a few uh, four stars uh, that that Auburn could still. You know, make a move for uh, here, and then and then the transfer portal, like Rara Thomas, uh, wide receiver, visited uh, this weekend. You, you're still going after Dante Thornton, Dylan Johnson, uh, the the pass catching back we've talked about from Mississippi State. He's an option. You know, they're going after dudes on the defensive line at all three levels of their defense. Like this is a staff that is really attacking the transfer portal and recruiting well. And like National Signing Day is Wednesday. We'll keep track of it. Um, you know, I'll be I'll be remote in Seattle. Um, but again, one once one keep in mind, follow all the folks who cover recruiting at a really, really high level for, for Auburn because they do an awesome job at it, and I think Auburn fans honestly are spoiled with the amount of coverage that recruiting gets. So follow the guys at two four seven, follow on three, rivals, all of them, support their work. They all do an awesome job. But from our perspective, when we look at it from more of a roster building standpoint and kind of where they're at, um, it's a good. It's a good start. It's a good start. Now, we do know that the one thing that could really change the course of how we feel about Auburn in twenty twenty three, yes, rebuilding your offensive line, reloading your defense, and all that is your quarterback spot. Now, I think we're both of the opinion, Painter, that Robbie Ashford and a Hugh Freeze and and, and uh, a Philip Montgomery offense has some real potential. However, we also know that Auburn's been going after some highly, highly, highly touted quarterbacks. Over the weekend, Auburn, you know, I even wrote a mailbag about it on Friday. It shows how quickly things change in recruiting. 
about Grayson McCall and how it looked like Auburn's in a good spot for Grayson McCall. Grayson McCall ended up not making his official visit, and it has been reported that academics are uh, the issue there uh, from those who cover recruiting. Um, so it would be interesting to see what Grayson McCall ends up doing. I don't think it's done. You know, I don't think it's completely done. I don't think it doesn't sound like it at least, um, where it's like it would be absolutely impossible that Grayson McCall can't go to Auburn or anywhere else. But that threw up a red flag and to a point where he didn't make an official visit. So keep an eye on that. Instead, Auburn got an official visit from like, from a guy in the transfer portal that some – I think if – you know, who's the best quarterback in the transfer portal right now? Your answer is either one of two. It's either Grace McCall from Coastal Carolina or it's Devin Leary from NC State. Auburn did get the visit from Devin Leary from NC State this weekend, um, and they're going to be in the hunt. I think Kentucky's also gotten an official visit from him. It's going to be interesting to see where he ends up going. Uh, but Devin Leary was preseason ACC Player of the Year, uh, got hurt uh, this year for uh, uh, for NC State. The word is he's going to be able to come back and kind of play. He only played in six games this year, got knocked out of that sixth game. Um, you know, his his last full season, 2021, the, the season that really put him on the map, completed 66% of his passes, eight yards in attempt, 3,400. Here's the big one. 3,400 yards. Here's the big one. 35 touchdowns and just five interceptions in his last, you know, his fully healthy season. Uh, there's some people who think that Leary has a better arm, has more arm talent. It's probably a better fit at the Power 5 level than McCall is. I think your results may vary. It just depends on, you know, kind of what your perspective is. Uh, but there are people who scout the transfer portal who write about it and say, hey, we think Devin Leary is the best quarterback. Some say it's Grayson McCall. Either way, Auburn, whether it was a pivot beforehand or it was like, hey, we're gonna get, we're gonna exhaust all of our resources and get all of our options in there. Getting a guy like Devin Leary in for a visit was pretty big for Auburn uh, because if they have a chance to get him, he's again, he's a guy that can move the needle for you, play one year before he goes to the NFL, um, get on a, you know, get on the SEC stage because he's also looking at Kentucky, and then you know. Go go to the NFL. You have time to continue to develop a Robbie Ashford or a Holden Garner or whoever else you want. But yeah, Devin Leary, uh, Devin Leary is the guy to, is the guy to watch out for now. All right, I think that I think that does it for this episode. I did want to though before we go. Those of you who hate the sport of soccer and don't want to hear anything about it. This episode is over for you. Thanks for listening. <laughs> we'll we'll talk to you again soon. For the rest of you, um, Panner, I just wanted to talk to you real quick about how I think you have the same opinion I do. Argentina France final in the in the in the, the World Cup final best sporting event uh, maybe ever. That's at least the best one I've seen. And it's just so easy to root for Messi. So I've been a Messi hater for most of my career. As a, as a, as a, as a, as a soccer fan, but it's because I mean it's because he tore uh, he tore United apart whenever they crossed paths, you know, in, in Champions League, those Spain those uh, those 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 Spain teams that had all those Barcelona guys and obviously Messi's from Argentina, those Spain teams and the Tiki Taka and it was just like oh god they're so good and I and I hated it, um and I hated it and I hated it, but I mean come on, dudes, dudes the best to ever do it and like the last thing he needed. Like the last thing he needed was he just needed to win a World Cup. He just needed to win a World Cup, and man, he he delivered. It was 
it was insane watching that game and just for the first 70 minutes or whatever, it was like, okay, well, France is probably going to cruise in this one. I mean, or Argentina is probably going to cruise in this one. And then France, boom, boom. They've got the dude that I think's the heir to the throne. And I'm very interested to see if Kylian Mbappe at 23, 24, however old he is now, if he makes a run at Messi's, at Messi's legacy. Um, because Messi's the GOAT, but Mbappe's on a really good start for his career. And then, and then in extra time, everything after that, at that goal from, after that goal that Messi didn't put him up, it was just, it was purely insane soccer. I mean, both teams had an incredible team goal, great finish, like everything you wanted. They had penalties. It was just, oh man, it was perfect. It was perfect. That was that was the best. If you've never watched soccer before, or if you barely watch soccer and you watch that, congratulations, you watched the peak. <laughs> like that was, that was in, that was incredible. And the goalkeeper getting the save at the end of stoppage time <laughs> after France had no business having a chance to win it. Yeah, Loris hit Loris like palming the rocket uh, from Messi late, and then they go into and they go into penalties, and Argentina goes stone cold, just drills all of them. Meanwhile, Argentina's goalkeeper is talking trash and being his own like heel self the whole and then wins, and then wins. It's it's incredible. It's incredible. It made it made me. I tell you that final made me briefly forget how mad I was that this World Cup was being held in Qatar and at the wrong time of year and all the crap that's gone on with it. You forgot about that for 120 plus minutes because that was that was insane and it's just that was so much fun and it showed you what it showed you what sports can be at its absolute peak: the passion, the drama, the excitement, the athleticism, the I mean the technique. That 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 second Argentina goal, where it's the four pass counterattack and like Messi has that insane touch and it's just oh it's beautiful. I mean, Panter, you've played you've played enough FIFA. Those are the those that's a FIFA goal that you you talk about for the rest of the rest of your day. And if it happens to you, you're throwing something against the wall. But it's perfect. It was beautiful. It was beautiful. I loved it. Yeah, and then every and like right. the right. the um, the guy's butt keeping him on side. <laughs> uh, don't you love VAR just like perfectly like hitting the curvature? It's like, and this is what keeps you on side, young man. Congrats, amazing. And you're right. Here's the thing: I've been a messy hater just because he's hurt teams that I've cared about in the past. But he's the best. And you're right. Like. The only bad thing you can say about the guy is that he doesn't pay his taxes. And for some of us, that's cool. <laughs> right, <laughs> that, right, that's a, right. He makes him even... He's a short king. Yeah, somebody had a tweet. Somebody had a tweet near the game. He's like, he shouldn't have to pay taxes. Look at him. <laughs> Look at what he's done. Did you see the videos in, like, Buenos Aires and... Uh, Buenos Aires, sorry. And, like, other places in, in Argentina. Like, there were people who were, like, after goals or after at the end of the match, just, like putting their camera like outside of their window and just hearing in the street like what it sounded like after all those moments and then like just the the celebrations cannot fathom it's it's cannot fathom what it would be like to be there um or spain during a world cup either of those would be acceptable options here's the thing painter next time we do a world cup god willing it's going to be in uh in the summer i think they're already expanding the field but yeah, watering it down a little bit, but still, whatever. But 
It's going to be on American soil, also Canadian soil, Mexican soil, but uh, Atlanta's hosting some matches all over. Like who, wherever you're listening to this, there's probably a match going to be somewhere within driving distance of you or somewhere relatively close. I can't. I don't care who plays in Atlanta. I'm a, I'm a, I'm, a, I'm going to try to go as much as I can. Like to be at a World Cup would be so so sick. I was you know, some people some people know this. I was I was born in Atlanta. Uh, lived the first few years of my life in Atlanta, including 1996. Um, so I have a very, 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 very faint memory. I was only three years old, a very, very faint memory of going to, you know, Centennial Olympic Park and like be like being there, uh, and just the excitement. Like I, I have a faint memory of that. Super, super faint though. And I wish, I wish I could, you know, like I think LA gets the Olympics sometime, like not this one, but the next one. Um, I don't know. I just love, I just love stuff like that. And so. Doesn't matter who's playing. I just want to. I just want to be a part of what is, you know, such a such an important event in, in the world and for a sport that I that care, I care about, you know, deeply is, is the sport I fell in love with first and played it as long as I could. And uh, painter, that was that was where you made your athletic glory uh, as well. But yeah, so much fun, so much fun. I hope I hope any of you listening to this got a chance to watch it because it's. It's the best. That's what sports are at its peak. I mean, you talk about excitement, stakes, back and forth. Like, yeah, there have been a couple of Auburn football games that have been, like, some of the best ever. Like, I think of the kick six game. Just not just the ending, but the game itself being so good. But, yeah, this is just... What was the noon kickoff for the NFL right after the game ended? Because it had to have had millions and millions and millions of people watching. They had to push. Yeah, there was so much. Of this sentence was like the the problem with a lot of with the World Cup for me was it's like uh, due to the NFL, we are pushing uh, the celebration to FS1. So on Fox, you could watch. It was like Panthers. It was like uh, who was it? Panthers and they played the Panthers. Steelers today. It's like Panthers Steelers was a game that was on. Um, you had Falcon Saints. Uh, there were like there was just so many. Oh man, it was. But it's like a World Cup shouldn't be happening during an NFL season, so we shouldn't have this problem. Two, Fox shouldn't be Fox shouldn't be the be the t- the place doing it because I miss Ian Dark and I miss ESPN's coverage of it so badly. And three, I don't know. I don't know if there's a third thing. I just I'm just mad and I wanted to end on on the number three. Uh, I watched most of the World Cup on Telemundo anyway, so um, shout out to Andres Cantor. Did you see that? Andres Cantor, the um, U.S. guy that's the, now the, the Argentinian the, play-by-play. Well, he's 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 from Argentina. He moved to U.S. and so he's he's always been like the Spanish language announcer for a lot of American stations like Telemundo, like ESPN Deportes, and stuff like in the past. So he's Argentin Argentinian born, and he gets to call. He gets to call his 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 birth country scoring. Uh, you know, winning the World Cup, and he's he's the absolute best. He's the guy. If you don't know anything about Andres Cantor, the guy when you think about the goal calls, where it sounds like it's taking forty five seconds, and he's he's gonna pass out. That's Andres Cantor. So really cool seeing that moment. And like you said, shout out to Messi. I'll give you your credit, man. Credit greatest of all time. Like you said, easy to root for, especially if you don't like paying taxes. All right, Painter, that's gonna do it. A uh, whole lot, whole lot we discussed there. 
Next podcast is going to be TBD, um, just because it's going to be a late night in Seattle, and with the time difference and the travel on Thursday, we will see what it, what it ends up being. Um, I will say this also, just going to go ahead and get this out there for, for those of you um, who are listening on the free feed. We will not have a free podcast next week because it's Christmas, and you know, every Christmas weekend. Enjoy, enjoy the holidays. Uh, we'll be back. We'll probably have a Probably have a recap podcast or maybe a quick preview free podcast for the Florida game and then, you know, a a, a lot of football news maybe next week. But uh, as it stands right now, no free podcast at this time, early next week at least. Um, Enjoy the holidays for those of you who aren't uh, subscribers. Those of you who are subscribers, one of us will talk to you later this week. I don't know who. I might have to call in some reinforcements. Uh, But either way, uh, thanks for listening. Again, thanks again for subscribing, giving the gift subscriptions, and uh, thank you for letting me have a job that uh, I really, really enjoy and getting to do this with uh, with Painter. So thanks once again, everybody. That's it for me. Painter, final thoughts. Merry Christmas. I've got a record player that was made in 2014, dyed my hair blue. It came out of C6 or to green. I like vintage dresses when they fall just below my knees. I pretend I scraped them. Climbing in the tree. I got a